right, we are uh, we're here. We're going. Oh, we're we're going. Yeah, we're talking. This is it. This is it. Um, welcome to Sync Ratios. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Ben Collins. I'm Luke Piotrowski, and back again. Back again. Back in action. Kevin Phillips. Hello. <laughs> Thanks Tunes. for having me. Thanks for coming back. <laughs> My pleasure. It was. It was. We. Your last episode was so good. Was it? Yeah, and I think... <laughs> it was the kids just eating cereal like you know, for dinner and cookies for breakfast. It was, yeah. it was off the rails. We, were, we got pretty goofy with it, but you, know, you can rein us in now. Uh, Daddy's home. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a great one for you to come back on and need to yeah. rein us in. Um, I guess it's worth mentioning, though, just I, I think I dropped it on the thing before, but you were, you were at the Toronto Film Festival. Yes. How was it? Um, whirlwind. Uh, ultimately, great. It was a fantastic experience. A lot of friends. The entire cast was there. The entire leading cast. Of the, of the, the Lumineers project. Is it called exactly. Three? Is it's called what? Three. Yeah, the yeah. album's Three. The, the film uh, presentation is called Three. So yeah, if you if you guys are listening to this, if you're not aware of, of Kevin's uh, work as a, as a film director, you can look up the Lumineers. Uh, what, do they, what do you call it? Like a... It's a vis- movie, I think it's a album vi- album. visual album. Visual is, album, yeah, is probably the 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 you know closest, most accurate kind of yeah. description you could give it. Is it entirely released? Or they've been doing it in pieces. No, so, far? so no, it had its like premiere and uh, entire in t- at TIFF. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's like five or six videos out now, um, and so there's four more coming. Oh well, okay. Yeah, well, they're all they're all great, and if you haven't watched these Lumineers videos directed by Kevin, you should. Um, Have quick... the Lumineers seen Evangelion? Uh, I am going to assume absolutely not. <laughs> you assume well, you don't get that vibe. I can't correct. Did you? If you did, you talk about Evangelion with them at all? Never with them. Uh, definitely with White Garfield and our B camera operator at one moment. I referenced oh, the, uh, the cigarette in the ashtray shot for mm-hmm. a very good time. I remember I was talking to Wyatt on set for this particular video that will be coming out mm-hmm. called My Cell. So there is a shot of a cigarette in an ashtray. Is and I, I remember wow. when I was talking with Wyatt, I was like, ah, I know exactly what this needs to be. I remember I was pulling references from Lost Highway. And then like this for this particular image, I just pulled it up um, on Google after typing in Evangelion Masato Kaji mm-hmm. uh, cigarette. <laughs> Uh, something like that, and um, I remember showing it to Wyatt on my phone, being like, "Just like this," you know, Wyatt mm. being our cinematographer, and he passed the buck over to our B camera operator. Uh, ultimately, we did not get the shot just like that. We changed the angle for sure, something okay. different. But that uh, was that you, you, yeah, you guys got the, to my the question. impetus of the moment. Amazing, was, yeah, based yeah. On is that, that the only Evangelion reference that you can think of that you were making, or is there any others? Oh, there's no. a giant robot that shows <laughs> there, up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Outside the giant robot, um, there's. No, honestly, I think uh, any time that the camera was behind somebody's head, it it was a callback for me uh, emotionally, you yeah, know, to yeah. a lot of moments in this show. One of which we just saw with Ray mm-hmm. facing like a pink wall mm-hmm. in oh, this yeah. episode. Really quick, yeah. but yeah, the back of the headshots. It's it's funny because it's not like that hasn't been in like a million fucking things. But I do, I know, that I feel like we've talked about this mm-hmm. before. But that that is like uh, any time I am thinking of something in that image, or any time you you know, shoot something in that way that does always call back for some reason to me. I mean, we've talked about how the back of the headshots in this show are often, I think, to um, 
make it for cheaper animation. <laughs> but uh, but that, again, that style is dictated by. I was know, thinking the, of the, the back form. of the head stuff in uh, Black Swan, where it where it cuts and she's walking through different mm-hmm. spaces. Yes. So yeah. you're you're locked in, but the scenery keeps jumping. Forward. Which you know, I mean, you you made a joke uh, in the last episode about. Uh, how consistently intrigued I am about who has seen it, who hasn't. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll put money on Aronofsky's seen it. I we, would. We, we certainly yeah. know he's watched mm-hmm. Perfect Blue. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, oh yeah, sure. I mean, yes. yeah. And Tetsuo Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, before we get too far, some this, okay. this is episode okay. twenty-five, uh, a world that's ending, also known as "Do You Love Me." So there was my phrase that I brought up on a previous episode and mm-hmm. that I was so taken with it. And yeah, I had forgotten that was actually the American title for this one. It's a good title. Uh, first broadcast. Oh, and I have something to say about that title, actually. Mm-hmm. But it's first broadcast on March 20th, 96, script by, of course, Hideaki Anno. Yeah. <laughs> Hideaki Anno. Obviously. Uh, but the director, Kazuya Saramaki, interesting. Interesting. Do You Love Me is actually a reference to a... Something written by um, a psychologist, I believe, named Ronald David Lang. Hmm. Do You Love Me? An Entertainment in Conversation. And I think it's sort of written in the same style. I just ordered a copy. So I will report back. I ordered myself a copy immediately. But I, I believe it's similar structurally in like the, the question and answer format of okay. the thing. And deals with a lot of uh, psychological stuff. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. So he's a psychiatrist. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, R.D. Lang, Scottish psychiatrist. He wrote about mental illness and psychosis in particular. Oh, I think I've I've heard that name in... Existential philosophy is a part of his his deal. So are we we to assume then that this is the book that was given to Hideaki Anno as like... Maybe. That's a colleague. Yeah, because that was the whole thing. Because you you brought that up, right, Luke? The the idea that he'd been given a book about, about like psychology or, or psychiatry or psychoanalysis or something like that. And that the assumption that guiding it more in that sort of psychoanalytic or Freudian or psychological, you know, existential way was in part inspired by that Yeah, book. that's... Whatever that's that book is. Maybe that is this question. book. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know much about this book, but I saw that, that that's what the title was a reference to and that it was about a lot of these things and that it was written in that format. And I thought, that sounds like a pretty fascinating read. So, so you're going to read it and then you're going to have a mental breakdown and you're going to... Uh, yeah, yeah writing another. All of our movies are about to get really yeah, interesting. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, the five sure. movies that Luke and I are writing right now, they're all going to turn exactly like this episode. Because <laughs> that's what happens. It's like um, its like Infinite Jest or something. It's you like the, the thing rec- that you consume yeah. it, and you can't help but be changed. And it's like, like the gate. You play the record backwards. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, a hell, yeah. hell portal opens so, in your This is the second gate reference we've had on this show. That's true. You brought it up in the last episode. With the hand. Yeah, the, the hand. eye of the hand. That's, yeah. That's Sacrifix. A, that, was a, that, was a, that was a good movie to see at like 12. God. Oh, it's the perfect Ab- movie Maybe 10. I think I, I, yeah, it was I maybe 10 when I saw The Gate Spooky on TV. Lane, man. Uh-huh. Scared the shit out of me. Absolutely. Fucking terrifying. I should watch it again. Have you seen it in a while? Yeah. It's still, I mean, the, the animation and the, the way those little demons move is still some of my favorite effects. Are you, would you show it to your kids? No, because my kids are such... <laughs> pansies when it comes to this stuff i don't i don't understand like it it chapter two just came out you know and i go to see that and it's like at 11 years old this would be like my favorite movie of all time and it's I like mean, there were five-year-olds in the theater when i saw it yeah chapter two. Really? but yeah. the notion of like Multiple. well i should show my like my kids it's like no they would be 
on the floor, like hands over their ears, <laughs> uh, eyes closed in a fetal position. To be much fair, like Shinji in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At that age, Just I would be too. But. Terrified. Um, there's some other business that might be worth. We're all, we're all delaying talking about the episode. <laughs> yeah, please, more business. Uh, I've got some shit that we can talk about, too. Well, just, you know, people have, have written in uh, through Twitter on a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, there's a guy on Twitter, at, at least for the time being, his uh, handle is Vic Samar, um, mm-hmm. wrote in asking about needle drops on the show. And that one of his favorite aspects of the show was all the different needle drops like the hallelujah chorus coming in during the uh, battle with the angel and asuka mm-hmm. um ode to joy coming in with karu um one of his favorites being the something's gonna redacted <laughs> something from end of evangelion so mm-hmm. we can't talk too much about that but uh he had some questions to that we can sort of throw to the group here which is where do you think the style or inspiration for these needle drops came from they're often classical but are played so abruptly you can't help but feel terrified and then also, do we have any favorite needle drop moments from the show? I mean, because I think Kevin and I were hanging out when you messaged us this, uh, when you, we got this question you oh, were really? telling us about. So Kevin and I actually just privately had a little conversation, and oh, we have the same answer. But Kevin, you, you should take it. I mean, the amount of times we mentioned Stanley Kubrick yep. on this show. Is, oh, of uh, course. You know, to be noted. You mm-hmm. know, uh, of course. Both in Gendo's characterization, um, as well as, I think, I mean... Is in so much, and even even in this episode, the use of like text and typeface mm-hmm. uh-huh. as like I don't know, it's a callback to the way Hal is kind of dealt mm-hmm. with in two thousand one a lot, and I mean mm-hmm. his insistence on using classical music and classical pieces in that film, particularly. I think in a lot of his in Barry well, Lyndon. I well, think I, I mean think. Kubrick. I mean, and I'm gonna, someone's going to crucify me on this, but it's okay. it's. I mean, for a lot of his movies if not the majority of them, he, he didn't like to have scores. And I don't fully know, I mean, I've read enough books that I should have the answer, but, but I, my, my interpretation of it is that he was such a lover of, uh, of music and classical music and that he was an obsessive sort of researcher and things like that. And so, you know, he would just buy mass amounts of records and, you know, find the perfect music. And I, and I think that, like, because that's more, I think it's something because he could control it is probably part of the answer because rather yeah. than having to rely on attempting to translate cuz if you so anybody who's not having to collaborate with other artists yeah yeah exactly but well for anybody who's not in in the film industry or or aspiring or in film school if if you if you're not aware of the process for uh, uh arriving at a score in a movie is is oftentimes to do what is called temp music where you pick uh pieces of music that fit uh, roughly the emotional um the tone and the the feeling that you want from a scene and then uh editing scenes or you know sometimes conceiving scenes even kevin you can talk more specifically about this but like sometimes you pick that stuff really early on and you sort of build sequences around it or you put stuff in the edit so that you have something to edit to and then the one of the last stages of making a movie oftentimes is hiring a composer whose job it is then to kind of like consume that those temp pieces of music that you've placed in and then recreate something original that effectively, in theory, does the same things. Um, and Kevin, you can talk about how frustrating that process can sometimes There's be. A, I remember a story from uh, like Stanley Kubrick, or not Stanley Kubrick, sorry, sorry, Martin Scorsese's like autobiography. I think it's Scorsese, Scorsese mm-hmm. on Scorsese, mm-hmm. um, that whole series. But I think in that, he was talking about working with Philip Glass on mm-hmm. Kunden. Is that what the film that they made together? This sounds very possible. Or The Last Emperor. 
Is that is Kubrick? Oh, is that Scorsese? Uh, I, I'm fucking up because I never saw either one of those. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Um, I'll look it up while you talk. We keep talking. Anyway, Scorsese was working with Philip Glass on a uh-huh. picture. And uh, up to a certain point, I think he had Philip Glass's like temp tracks in there. Yeah. Um, and then Philip was going to go in and kind of reorchestrate and use like a much fuller sound. But Scorsese and Thelma, his editor, got so... Um, they were just so hooked on the original. Yeah, you become enamored with what absolutely what's there. Yeah, and that they couldn't leave it. And he and I remember him talking about how he was beside himself, having to go up to Philip Glass <laughs> and be like, "I really, I you know, I don't mean to offend you, but I really hope that we can just kind of maintain this rougher sound." Mm-hmm. And I remember Philip Glass was, was just like, "Yeah, sure, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of course." It was Kundun, by the way. I looked it up. That's the, okay. that's the one. And that's and yeah, and I think that that my interpretation of it at least is that probably, you know, that Kubrick just, whether, you know, whether by convenience or by stubbornness or whatever, that he preferred to, I mean, most of the uses of those kind of things in Kubrick films, they're like sequences. I mean, you think of like the docking sequence in 2001, or obviously like the Ligeti piece that plays whenever the monolith is there. It's like, he's picking, it's not, I think for him, it's like, I don't want something like this. I picked this and designed it with this in mind because I have a great record collection and I'm yeah. pulling from it. And he was a filmmaker who had the, you know, uh, uh, sort of wherewithal or the sort of status, the clout, if you will, to to basically say, no, I'm just going to get the rights to this and not, and I just want this. And I think that that is inspiring and probably is something of what Anno, in my opinion, it's, is replicating. It's an austere move, like right off the bat because right. he's picking something that's classical by definition and like timeless, right? Mm-hmm. And so it naturally has a gravity already associated with it um, that like, you know, you can't separate it from that. Well, so, the other thing is it has religious connotations. There you go. You know, hallelujah, in a battle with an angel, there's something deeply ironic about the hallelujah chorus coming in and to to be interacting with the divine and it's happening in this horrible way, which, you know, is described as a mind rape uh, and to have... Oh, this is what it is to see the face of God as it's you're being probed by something alien that's breaking you apart. It's really interesting how this guy like or these, you know, creators of the show craft such like nuanced characters and story like with deep with myth and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yet at the same time, they use very kind of extreme version, like, you know, extreme uh, mm-hmm. examples mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like artistic kind of craft and stuff like that, like to showcase a feeling like. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think it's yeah because I think that there it's 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 a way to sort of root it in in our common experience of the world or something like that because I think that it, it's in and again this is a, a loftier supposition that I'm making here but like that, like that if you're doing things that are so imaginative and so rich like you're describing Kevin that like to use music that the audience maybe has heard before gives a sense of place that that you otherwise wouldn't get like it grounds you mm-hmm. in reality like i've heard the ninth symphony before i've heard hallelujah before and it's the difference between something that sounds like hallelujah and actual hallelujah. like those are totally different things like sure. that is those are it's like like mm-hmm. one is actually borrowing mm-hmm. like you're saying luke from all the cultural context that an audience has built up and that's a dicey game because sometimes especially with like a, a different culture like you know you might be picking a piece of music that just has a certain resonance within your own culture, but then outside to other people, maybe it, it comes off as cheesy or maybe it comes off as like it has a different kind of, I mean, like, you know, using uh, Wagner 
certain Wagner pieces <laughs> at this point, you know, like, you, yeah, I mean, Wagner's like one of the great composers, but it's also like just forever associated with Nazis. And so like, if you were to use something, mm. you know, you use the opening of the ring cycle, like Terrence Malick did in New World, Resident and no Apocalypse one ever recognizes now. it. Right. But yeah, like, yeah, the Ride of the Flight of the Valkyries or whatever, it's like a totally different thing. Right. And it's like, so it's interesting because you're playing a dicey game if you're not kind of covering your bases. But obviously, I mean, we remember... You know, uh, the all the thus spake Zarathustra or whatever the fucking name of the the two thousand one mm. thing. If that is forever now, the two thousand one piece, it probably had better. You know, probably had other connotations to people before that. But it's like you know, you can really brand a piece of music as like fitting to your thing if you do it really well. I mean, like, and that's the Ode right. to Joy thing is associated with Evangelion for me, even though that's one of the most famous piece of, pieces of music that's ever been I composed. mean, I think, like, with all of this stuff, because there's a lot of classical pieces and there's more classical pieces that are going to be in, in Evangelion, but there's also, a, I think, what he's referencing here is, um, a, a, you know, a pop music piece, and I know that there's stuff in the Rebuild movies as well, and I think a lot of... The trick that Anno plays here, that he plays really well, you know, almost better than anybody, is juxtaposition between, you know, the music that just does not belong in that scene. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to have, you know, I don't, you know, an incredibly violent scene with one of the more airy uh, classical pieces of the thing. I can't, I don't want to say too much about it yet because it's in any of Evangelion, but that's... And then there's another there's a there's a pop song that plays in any of Evangelion, and again it's like this is the music that is inappropriate for what you would expect, you know, score wise for the scene, and that Hallelujah and, and Ode to Joy as well. Ode to Joy, he's going down to murder his only friend who told him that he loved him, and it's a song called Ode to Joy. Like the the, the fact that the contrast between the music and the image, yes, is definitely something that he likes to play with, and it can make you feel so much more uncomfortable. Um, and it makes you look at, say, the violence in a very different way. If you have intense music playing and violence is happening, that's one thing. You know, the old, we've joked about the techno music and the old manga entertainment videos yeah. and that anime was all like, exploding heads and... <laughs> you know? and, and there's something very different when you have like a Bach piece playing. And yeah. it's like really elegant, and but it's also really upsetting and it just feels... In some ways, even more hopeless or I, chilling. It's true. Like I wonder. Which actually, is, I mean, uh, Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, like that's that's the most up on the most on the nose it. one because the character is like, you know, Ludwig von. Like he's playing it himself, you know, and it is underscoring violent things. Like that is, you know, I mean, I'm not saying Kubrick invented that, but it's no, possible. And a lot of people have possible. have used it. Um, you know, it's like when they're in face off and it's like kid puts his headphones on and listens to Somewhere Over the Rainbow while there's John Woo slow That's true. I wonder on. if I saw Face Off before I saw End of Evangelion. I, I think I saw I End of Evangelion did. before I saw Clockwork Orange, though. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I don't know. Did you see Face Off before you saw Evangelion, Luke? Uh, when was <laughs> Face Off? 96? 90... Somewhere between 96 and 98. Mid 90s? I don't know. That's a good question. I probably did. I probably did, and, I, and I'm very familiar with that conceit. Like that's been an oh okay. Um, Hard Boiled did it too, I think. Right? I don't remember what the music is, but probably. Well, he's so balladic, John Woo yeah. stuff. So, but yeah, the, so that and that's what's most effective about it for me. And so, I guess I can't say too much about my favorite needle drops, but I think they're all an end of Evangelion. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the death, death, and rebirth. Um, it's the most simple one, but the, the canon in D just because Man. because canon in D is 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 so associated with like pleasantries of you know like ceremonies. It's like you know you hear it at weddings or graduation 
things and stuff like that. And that, that to, to just use something like that. And it's not like the, in that one, they're not contrasting it with like super disturbing stuff, but just to, no. again, just be the, bold the enough to, to choose to do it yeah, in that and give it that mm-hmm. weight in the thing. And it's a recurring motif throughout the movie. Well, and, and that's kind of like, it seemed like the moment when, and we, you know, we'll get to death, the, the recap movie and, and talk about it there. But like when it sort of really became aware of, the it became part of the identity of the show like okay yeah classical music and like you can't spoil a recap movie like the fact that there are characters in the show playing the classical music together um just takes it to this other level where it's like yeah this is fully now owned by the show part of the makeup but when you think about evangelion you think of classical music you know and that that's the thing that they gradually brought in again it starts as this very normal giant robot show and that the influences, you know, the biblical illusions start to get more and more intense and the psychoanalytical stuff starts to get more intense. The classical music starts to get more intense. It starts building this like repertoire identity, you know, it's like a gravity starts pulling in all these things that become what the show is. It's forming itself. Which... Like a, like the angel, you know, uh, connecting units one and zero and like mm-hmm. merging between them. It's like just like this thing that's spreading its veins, into mm-hmm. subsuming all this stuff. Like uh, the instrumentality project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it just uh, one one last note on that that I just because I I like to sometimes if I see an opportunity for something nice and encouraging, I would just say that anybody who is an aspiring filmmaker out there, it's it's a good lesson to learn though because here's the here's the trick: if you're not already a composer and you lack the you know skills or ability to become a composer you certainly have a world of music at your fingertips and you can certainly learn about classical music by just be, by listening to it. And it's like, yeah, if you, you know, dream of having something as iconic or, you know, as like the stuff that Kubrick does or the stuff that Anno does, that's all available to you. And a lot of that shit is like, um, you know, public domain anyways at this point. So like, you know, <laughs> if you, if you like this kind of thing and you dream of making movies, you can, you can start that now by listening to stuff and it doesn't actually require any money or skill it's just time and learning to enjoy those things because that's the thing is you don't pull this stuff out of your hat unless you already know it unless you have like a really great music supervisor that's like on or you your just vibe. regurgitate the same ones so, you know like so, some of these are like standards but i, I particularly like the use of air in end of evangelion yeah. because it's one that i don't hear quite as often as mm-hmm. some of the others um but everybody lost their shit over uh what was it claire de lune being in the uh the first king of the monsters trailer. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm, and that was really cool bad. and that's a great example it's like that's an obvious one but yeah. again it's 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 also used in the um evil within uh video game to <laughs> great effect it's it's the save rooms you come to the save when you can hear like a muffled oh, cool. like a version of claire de lune like playing from down some creepy moldy hallway it's cool. like oh the save room's down there <laughs> um so yeah fantastic we score on that game by the way. We could certainly talk about this stuff for forever. Um, yeah, we should probably I could, get... I, we can later talk about the Kawaru thing. There's not much to say about it, but... Um, what? Oh, just just that I was, like, just a couple of minutes ago, Googled, is Kawaru a clone of Kaji? <laughs> <laughs> and and I think the thing, the interesting thing I found is... You found some, somebody that agreed with you. Somebody, yeah, somebody had this thought, but there was, there was one post um, that... Ken Bollins. Oh, he's yeah. <laughs> got some interesting theories that back you up. Well, there's this thing on 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 avageeks.org that does it doesn't identify Ka- uh, uh, Kaji, but it does say um, it says uh, Kaoru's Lilin form is courtesy of an unknown donor. Who is this person? Mm. Uh, the show never mentions, and neither do the supplementary materials. Since Kaoru's counterpart Ray has a genet- genetic source that is known and very plot relevant, it seems likely that the same would be true of Kaoru. And they go through uh, possibilities. 
uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but like, I mean, Heal. they, I mean, they, well, no, I mean, they, they cover all that stuff, but they have some sort of reasoning why they, they think that it's either Misato or her dad. Hmm. That would have been because for some I reason. I would not have thought of that. They, they, because well, okay, it has her, to be but, somebody but who was her around. Father, mm-hmm. Who is her father like that we know? Kaji. Kaji. She says it a lot in this episode <laughs> that Kaji is, reminds her of her yeah. father. Oh. Isn't that? Because so they, they think it had to be somebody who was around like in the game pre um, Second Impact, right? Because we did we were talking about Kaoru in the last episode and like did he have a childhood and stuff and they you know it could be bullshit but it, it does say Makoto does find that his birthday is Second Impact. Yeah, so he that implies that he has been around for fourteen years growing up normally. So I mean I think that the Masato's dad thing is probably pretty. I mean just in terms of the functionality of the project as we know it depicted in the plot and that you know that would make total sense actually mm-hmm. so I, prov- I i like my kaji theory but i like that it even is that my theory may be wrong but is supported by the association was there any was there any um indication from masato in the previous episode towards kaoru like what was her interaction she doesn't like, like yeah she you, was suspicious of him the she whole was time suspicious of him but she wasn't like yeah. If they wanted to press Potter. that as like a thing, they would have had like a moment. They would have given them a moment together. A where moment she was in the elevator. Yeah, yeah. But they they didn't. So I don't think it's important. But it just it was something that occurred to me last time for what, the first what time. What is important about Kaoru that we did not talk about last time? Is it, and Edward O'Dell pointed out on Twitter to us that we did not even mention. There's a whole subgenre of anime and manga called yaoi that is all predicated on the, like the concept of homoerotic. Yeah. relationships between guys you know so you know like shows like gravitation and mm-hmm. you know, all sorts of manga and it's typically marketed toward women mm-hmm. but you know it dates back to the 70s where there was so there is definitely a precursors to this type of relationship yes. in anime and manga um and this is it's, it's interesting that this is sort of like slipped into here and this is not a show that's marketed in that way but no. like those elements are in there I don't know. That's interesting. So I, I don't, you know, I don't consume a lot of that. I'm not the target audience for it, but I'm definitely aware. Maybe of that's it. our new podcast. Just <laughs> do a deep dive on all things yellow. <laughs> yeah. um, well, we can watch Wolf Train then. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, your your I second guess, favorite anime. I guess that has some some pretty gay energy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not in an explicit way, but it it feels like a pinup gallery to me, and it's in oh a, totally in a fun yeah. way. The, yeah, the boys are all you know sexy boys for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, Take your pick, you know. I will gladly do a Wolf's Rain podcast. <laughs> that'll um, be the, the yeah. That'll be the inaugural show for the yeah for that podcast. So yeah, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot to say about that, but I yeah, I think we should talk culturally. You know, just bring up culturally yeah. that, that is a thing. Yeah, in terms I of, can't we, believe we forgot to. Mention yeah, because we, we were talking about it being so progressive and, and sort of you know ahead of its time. And but that you're, choice, you're right that it yeah. is that, but it's the use of it within a context of a show like this yeah. because it's pulling from you know another. You know, you guess it's another sort of genre tradition that wouldn't have been mainstream in quite the same way. Who's I the guess. Who's the character from Berserk? The uh... oh, uh, yeah. I mean, what's his what's name? His name. It's the... something American, isn't it? Like uh... you're talking about the the the, 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 yeah, the sexy guy, the white haired guy, the, the fellow that like ultimately, you know, like. Yeah. Um... Befalls for the for the, oh my God, for the listeners here. Ber- Berserk is an anime that Kevin's been trying to get me to watch for ten years, and he successfully it. got Luke to watch it. And now I just look like an to asshole. To be fair, it's uh, Eli Bourne, yes, uh, cinematographer. Yeah, our friend, friend and Times, coworker uh, Eli Bourne was was big on it, and he showed it to me at a 
you know, years ago. Yeah, Guts, yeah. Guts, Guts is the main guy. Guts is the main guy. But Griffith. The, Griffith, that's it. Griffith <laughs> yeah. is the fella. Griffith has some Kauru energy. Their bromance <laughs> is real intense. It is. Like, they're like, I need to yeah. watch the show. I'm yeah, sorry, I'll show. do it. I'll do it. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting show in that it's largely... I don't know. I mean, it has Susumu Hirasawa does the scores, talking about music and needle drops. And mm-hmm. Susumu Hirasawa, if you don't know, does the soundtracks for Not Perfect Blue, but most of the other uh, oh, okay. films by, um, what's the name? The Paranoia Agent and stuff? Yeah. Uh, Satoshi Kon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Paranoia Agent, mm-hmm. uh, Paprika, mm-hmm. um, Millennium Actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an electronic artist. That uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. The other guy, with the, he does all the voice stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, fucking amazing. Yeah, he does he does the the soundtrack for Berserk. So that kept me interested. But the the ending of Berserk is, I think it's the last two episodes. It's it sort is, of comparable exactly. to Evangelion of like <laughs> right? you kind of watching this show and then the last two episodes like what is happening in a very different way. <laughs> uh, yeah, Possibly I, more upsetting. I don't know. <laughs> you have to. I mean, I'm not gonna spoil it, but you have to watch this show now, especially with the latest development in your both. Uh, your no, yeah, good, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you can't man. mention that, but yes, uh, yeah. Well, well, it was live on the podcast last time that we actually got the. Yeah, you heard it, but, but you know what I'm yes, saying. Yes, no, I, yeah, yeah. Coded reference, Jeez, coded reference, coded man. reference. Uh, oh. Okay, I will. Luke gave it to me, um, so I have it. Because um, yeah. you said the Netflix one is like a re. There's there did movies. They did they did movies that were like a recap of the series, and the third movie does those last two episodes, <laughs> and is also pretty crazy. But they're like it's cell shaded CGI stuff, so it's not as cool. Um, and there's there's something I thought it was pretty cool. The movies are, the back. movies are cool, and then they did like a sh- like a sequel show that was also. 3D CG, but a little bit cheaper. And mm-hmm. I tried to start watching that second show that kind of goes beyond that point in the story. And it was... I did too. I had to uh, give up. Yeah, it's yeah. Something about it, it just wasn't working for Apparently, me. Apparently, as a manga, that shit's still going on. I'd like to read that. Isn't that the curious draw <laughs> of, of comic books and manga that seemingly never end in in that being like weirdly appealing that, like blame i think blame still is going Probably. right was is lone wolf and cub still going <laughs> well i mean he just passed away well i mean um, it was but it was lone wolf and cub was the the longest running single long author running. book uh, i think in the world and then but it, it, and i only know that because i read all of dave sims uh comic book cerebus when i was in college and that was oh, cerebus wow. was is the longest Wait, running one in the english that. language and it was <laughs> like but i think at the time it was maybe only i think lone wolf and cub was the only thing that beat it or something at the time. I'm sure that other things have, you know. All right. I want to get into this episode. <laughs> there's there's a way in that there's one more person that Hang wrote in. Hang in there, guys. Uh, Jesse, I don't know if it's Mixic, Mikesick on Twitter. Um, first, with a, a sort of a theory that kind of goes along with what we were talking about in terms of the Ray and the dummy plug stuff. Mm. And basically looking at it as her soul as software that's independent of hardware, you know, okay. bodies, Evangelions, etc. Um, and you... You know, it's downloaded and hosted on each successive body, occasionally mm-hmm. merged with a backup master copy at Nerve. So when she dies, they're able to pull the last commit, you know, lose some memories in the process. So looking at the dummy plug system, not as a real plug, but a non-physical soul that's uploaded into the Avas, ready for whenever Gendo wants to override the human who's loaded in it. Which makes sense. Well, that we do is, so, see some stuff in End of Evangelion that kind of implies that, you you know, there's a there's a physical plug in these auto run things yeah but, uh-huh. i mean i but still i go along with that no i think i mean i think that that's that's a that's a justifiable thing i mean i would do it then sort of like 
ask myself the question of like what do they need all the bodies for well, well then it's like for yeah that's right yeah and the, but the physical plugs even it's like maybe they can like upload the software like from their facility like yeah there but like maybe it's like oh you know if they it's just not- don't have like wi-fi like this this is all like very wide so it had to be be in the system already yeah because it's all about cables and you know I mean, it is technically in the future. I mean, they're kind of run, you know, skipping over those details, but yeah. Yeah, well, but so much of the Evangelion technologies, you know, they have yeah, to yeah, be yeah. fucking plugged in. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think that they're sending, you know, Wi-Fi. Yeah, they can't just shoot it into. They can't airdrop uh, Ray's soul into the right. uh, Evas. <laughs> um, but the other thing that Jesse brought up was the ship of Theseus, uh, sort of a, a logic problem, which mm-hmm. is similar to the John dies at the end thing that we were talking about, and probably where that actually comes from. Um, so the thought experiment is if you have a ship, like a famous ship, and it was kept in a harbor as a museum piece, and it sort of rotted away over the years, and every part was replaced, and after a century, there's no ex- actual parts of it. Is that restored ship still the same object as the original ship? And to complicate that, well, what if you took all the removed pieces and stored them in a warehouse, and in the future you had the technology to sort of you know, stop the rotting and reconstruct the original ship? Is that the original ship and then what if you have both ships there's the one that you've been repairing Mm -hmm. pieces on and then the one that you've made out of all the repaired pieces there's two of the same ship essentially which one is the real one that sort of i I think that ship just reproduced (laughs) that's what i think (laughs) and there's a lot of different you know philosophical solutions to the paradox um, one of my favorites being the, just maybe because it sounds like the Matrix, but that there is no ship. Um, that the ship is just a label for a particular organization of matter and energy in space and time. So the old ship is a concept in the human mind, and the new ship is another concept in the human mind. And the fact that you can compare the two concepts mean that they are not the same. Because if they were the same, there would be no comparison. Yeah, you wouldn't you, have to You thought. would not have to compare them. Yeah. It reminds me of that clickhole article. Called is this a boat? Do you remember? <laughs> <laughs> is that what it was called? I something like that, where it was just this. a list it's of like, questions. Can you can you identify? Can you tell what a, what a boat is or something? Yeah. It's like yeah, it's like a it's but it's like wow. a it's a question and it's like a quiz or something. Yeah. A plus yeah. article. Yeah. <laughs> most most click hole things are yeah. All right, let's talk about this episode. Okay, I, and you know it's fine that we sort of did all that answering questions and talking about other things at the top because there's not a lot of plot stuff no. to talk about here. And and it's going but to there be is. okay okay we're just, so 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 we're set, setting up at the top and 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 we'll we'll decide how much of this we want to say but but we we've, we've referenced in the past that while this is the penultimate episode of the show um, the movie End of Evangelion is not a separate thing it is an essential component to the viewing experience of what we call in the engine of Evangelion so while we are in the home stretch here there is still more stuff that happens we are going to not spoil the specifics of End of Evangelion, but I think that we can, from the onset, describe the relationship yes. between this episode, episode 25, and the subsequent episode, episode 26, their relationship to the movie End of Evangelion. And Luke, do you want to take a crack at that? Well, it's worth noting that the director's cut episodes, which I think starting with episode 21, so like 21, 22, 23, 24, um, there's the episodes as they aired, and if you look on your, you know, your platinum DVDs and stuff, it's like episode 21 is the what aired, and then 21 apostrophe 
is the director's mm-hmm. cut. So mm-hmm. the, the apostrophe signifies like this is the alternate version. Episodes 25, 26 do not have director's cuts, but the movies, or, well, the movie, End of Evangelion, is in two parts, mm-hmm. and they are identified, little eye catchers come up and identify them as 25 apostrophe and 26 apostrophe. Yes. So it's basically like saying, looking at the language of the show, that End of Evangelion, the two episodes that make up that movie, are basically director's cut episodes of these last two episodes. Which is hilarious because when we first saw it, I don't think that the uh, the apostrophe... Lied. No, because the director's cut episodes had not come they out. They didn't exist yet. So that was but established we, by those. But we all... I mean, every, you know, pairings of, of the people in this room have had the conversation about whether or not that is literally what it was because it wasn't locked down for a while. And that... The, but that, yes, it is. Well, I think it's, there's yeah. still room for debate on whether they are contradictory... Or not, because I did look at the platinum booklet um, things, and it does talk about. Well, this gets into a little bit of a uh, plotty stuff, but it seems to say it talks about Gendo's plan for instrumentality, which maybe we can call yeah, out. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that very soon. Um, but it does say it may be that it was an episode in twenty five and twenty six that his desires came true. And that might be different from what we see <laughs> in the movie. I don't want to yeah. say anything too much about the movie. I don't want to spoil the movie. So, so, but there are schools of thought. I mean, you, you can sort of, I think overall these are meant to be, the relationship between the two is, obviously this is all the mental space stuff. This is all character inner world stuff. Yeah. And I guess we should maybe just talk about what instrumentality is. But the idea is that episodes 25 and 26 of the show show you mentally in the inner world what that process looks like and what you get in Evangelion is an exterior view in the physical, literal world and some in the mental world, what that process looks Which like. Which I think you could rationalize on that notion if if they do, in fact, episode 25, 26 does, in fact, contrast, mm-hmm. you know, with like conceptually with End of Evangelion. I think that could be rationalized as like an internal versus external kind of perspective, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about, and I mean, jumping to it, but I'm not going to spoil it, at the end of Evangelion, the way that it ends, if you take that analog to the way that this 20, episode 26 ends, for instance, mm-hmm. it does seem, you know, in, in interesting contrast. Um, but working backwards from there, I don't know. It's like a... Yeah, I think I've landed on, uh, over the years, and I think I've always liked you, but that they do complement one another yeah same here. i think that they do mm-hmm. i think they are telling the same story I it's so not too. two different endings that's always I think been it is my the feeling. same ending from two different perspectives that's exactly. from the very first time i the first time i watched it with you at your old apartment luke that was my feeling about it mm-hmm. in in, the, in that that you know sure maybe you know you can parse a bunch of stuff and come up with alternate theories but really that's that's the thing that makes sense to me yeah um yeah. and so so by way of you know jumping into the thing a little bit like, like what obviously if you've watched this episode you you know we ended with with uh you know the kaoru stuff in the previous episode and then the last thing we see is shinji and masato like sitting out looking at the water and talking about how kaoru should have lived and blah, blah 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 and when we jump into this we've obviously skipped ahead at some in some way we know that so we're not something is happening we have not picked up in a literal continuation of 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 those events now in theory you could end at episode 
24 and go straight to the movie Interview from Galleon and, and maybe that would be interesting I, I'd love to hear if anyone's ever done that please I'm let sure us know. they have yeah um, I also would be really curious to see splitting up the Interview Galleon and watching the first part of that and then the first in this episode and like doing them uh, mm-hmm. interspersed would be interesting but anyways if you are watching the show in order you realize that you are not in the literal world you are in I mean as we have seen with the train it's interesting mm-hmm. that they don't use the train yeah, again. Yeah, there's no train. There's it's been replaced by this like stage. Yeah, yes. this sort of auditorium. Mm-hmm. But they but but we but the show has the language built into it though. Like the yes. train the train was uh, uh, a mental state, uh, uh, a visualization of a mental state for the various characters. And you, I think if you're if you've watched this whole thing, I mean, sure, if this is the first episode you've ever seen, you have no idea what the fuck's going on. But yeah. don't do that. But if you've watched the show, I think you can grasp the language at this point that, okay, we're in some sort of mental state uh, space and it's going to, what we see is a sort of like uh, rotating focus on different characters and and keeping going with the type of, uh, you know, mental state stuff we've done in it's previous an interrogation episodes. it's an interrogation Everybody's of the different internal worlds and it's, it becomes very existential and among that in somewhere about five minutes into the thing it's stated very clearly that instrumentality mm-hmm. the human instrumentality project the gendo's goal the thing that this was all about has begun and what we are watching is I think Sato says it's some part of that apparently yeah <laughs> I think she even sort of says this that is part of what your father was trying to do um and they do kind of say it. Ritsuko and Gendo kind of say, and then Misato puts it in layman's terms. I mean, I, can we just, just yeah, kind of talk it. about yeah, it? Yeah, just do it. Because we're not really going to go... I mean, there's so much to go in order. We, should, we can jump around and stuff, but just go ahead and drop that on the thing. But yeah, Gen- Gendo and Ritsuko talk about how humanity has, has have all these gaps in between them, you know, holes in their soul or like, you know... And what the Instrumentality Project was to do was to sort of account for the holes that we all have um, these empty spaces by putting everybody together and jumbling all the souls together into one complete soul where we comp because another uh, translation I've seen is the human completion or complementation project. So we are all as individuals, we are like puzzle pieces, right? We have these extensions and then we have these empty spaces and that through artificial evolution, the human instrumentality project is to kind of Bundle us all together. I think that's what Misato says: is bundle all the souls together into mm-hmm. one thing, and that will eliminate pain and suffering. You know, the hedgehog's dilemma. Like if you yeah, can just make the two hedgehogs one, one big hedgehog. Yeah. <laughs> then their spines are inside of each other, but they're they're filling. There's no more empty spaces left. It's yeah. certainly what Zele is constantly going on about. Mm-hmm. Just like you know, just right? Like, just you know, abolish pain, bring us back together as one like artificial evolution, which, which is an interesting. I mean, what we don't know at this point, yeah, because you've you've you, good point, Kevin, that we've seen Zayla talk about it and Gendo talk about it, and what exactly the fight is is sort of un, you know, I mean, Gendo Gendo's prerogative seems strictly selfish in the sense of just get me back to Yui. Yes, mm-hmm. that's. I mean, I think right. I mean, that is we can that that's his sort of goal is that by doing this yes well and that it was and also i think we covered it before that it was potentially her idea in the first place in some sense or this is building off of some of her ideas or something like that so that there is a kind of commitment to yeah and we'll learn more about that but just so that what we're watching here is the mental space as all souls start to become one so that misato and shinji and asuka they sort of will appear behind one another and, and they'll say, so I'm the Shinji that exists in your head. Oh, well, that must mean I'm the Asuka that exists in your head. And it is, you know, we have 
Shinji being privy to and seeing parts of Misato because that's the other thing is if, if you know we all have secrets we all have stuff that we want to keep from each other and if if all souls were to become one the you know curtain is drawn back and we all the, the process of merging we would be seeing all these different pieces of each other as we all start to become one thing yeah so so if we're in something some middle of that process or something in this episode the beginning of that we process. are yeah we're seeing how yeah, like the, the existential distinctions between uh, uh, individuals and consciousnesses start to break down. And, and There's Shinji nowhere to hide anymore. into Masato's mind and yeah. blah, 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 blah. And they're all sort of... They can't hide from each other and they can't hide from themselves because that's what a lot of the interrogation is, is that they're sort of being made to confront... Shinji's confronting his guilt over what he did for uh, Takaru and uh, his own attitude toward piloting the Ava and other people. And why he he does it, mm-hmm. you know, because he he gets he wants people to be nice to him, and they're nice to him when he does this thing, so he does it. And Oscar calls that selfish, and then Ray points out that that's the same thing that that she does. Yeah, it's kind of like I mean, we've had those. The, everyone's had their individual thing, and we've we, you know the audience is is privy to the individual thoughts of the characters, but the characters themselves have only, you know, they've got these, you know, meat suits that they walk around in or whatever, and these defense barriers, these AT fields or whatever, the, the sort of things that keep in that, like, you know, uh, this is, we're seeing how that's all breaking down and, and the characters are able to sort of, in some weird abstract way, confront each other about various things I mean, or confront themselves. Yeah, well, we saw what happened with, with Ray together. interacting with the one angel, and that was just too beings if this is what's happening with all of humanity you know when ray was talking to the angel and it's you know hip deep in the lcl and she's floating above the surface you know and then mm-hmm. where do i stop and where do, where does it begin if this is happening to all of humanity then you know you've got a lot of people that you're letting in there's there's a little bit at the end of the episode that seems to suggest like that this is just the the, the this world of despair and annihilation that shiji has chosen they sort of start to hint at something that gets built upon in the next episode but that shinji is in a position of power here and is able to make decisions and so i've always read this and continue to read this as what we're seeing is the souls and consciousness is kind of merging together and 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 seeing and understanding each other I, i could see a read that this this world they they kind of talk about how this is one possibility of many worlds um and we'll see that play out a little bit more on the next episode but that that could potentially go against that read. Um, well, and that and this is some sort of nightmare world where everybody is being made to confront. Well, and that's also what supports, in a, in a way, that's what supports the end of Evangelion being different from these. Although, again, I don't think so because it's it's just this is all happening in in you know dream, this is like you know dream time. You, you know, can kind of. You no, know, it's interesting to kind of take these scenarios and and place them up exactly like you say. This is happening mm-hmm. in a certain type of like timeline, like dream logic kind mm-hmm, of dream time. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to take the scenarios that you're seeing here and kind of match them up with End of Evangelion. Like, at what point in the process does this happen? Yes. It's kind of like, yes. you know, do you go to heaven? Do you go to hell? You got to cross over sticks. You got to go uh-huh. to your own self-torment or, like, the nine layers of hell or whatever. I mean, you got to... It's just like, for instance, like, instrumentality, as we're being led to believe, is happening at this moment in this show. Um, you got to believe that this is just, like, like a part of the phase, maybe. 
mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, where mm-hmm. in- yeah. inevitably they'll get to some more like Shinji himself or the other. And Misato will... says as much, yeah, like exactly. the, you know, like the, it, this is step one. Like it's beginning, and at the end of the episode, it even says the instrumentality of humanity will continue. Yep, um, exactly. Now it's so strange. I mean, and there's just no way for us to comment. And I can't even really remember. Maybe just hit play on it, Kevin, and we'll just anything well, that anything that. We're just like trying to read this. Like I'm trying to imagine because it was a couple years before Enemy Evangelion came out, and right. so like, or I guess a year. What you would have done with this? Oh my god! Without knowing that there was more, like you know, like this is it. This is the end. You're tuning in, like, oh god, like what's gonna happen? He just killed Kaoru. He's he's so depressed. Ready to watch the finale, (laughs) and this is what you get. What you know? I mean, even down to like they show scenes, and we know we're talking about the relationship between End of Evangelion and this. There are shots of Asuka and a couple other characters that we see, and it's like, oh, these are images from End of Evangelion. Like, we know that now, but they we, wouldn't have known at that. At the time, it would be like, wait, what is this? What is this to do with anything? Where, where is this happening? And th- so that does really suggest they they did know what was going to happen. The content of End of Evangelion was not entirely fabricated after the no, show no, no, ended. No. It was always, at least in part there are elements of End of Evangelion that were like, that was the planned ending for the show that they just did not have the time or money to do. I think there might have been, you know, Anno made comments to the contrary and, and, and for a while there was adamant like, no, that's the ending of the show. That's what you get. Sorry. Um, but, do you it, rem- yeah. Do it you does rem- seem like that's not entirely the case. Do you remember when Twin Peaks season one ended and it was Agent Cooper being shot? Mm-hmm. Right. So, <laughs> at the time, I saw it in college with... Mark Westville, my mm-hmm. roommate at the time. And the doors, friend of the show. <laughs> and so we had the DVD of season one because it was released just like that. And you could buy it. Oh, and they like didn't one. release season they two. They didn't release season like two years for years. Before, yeah. Years. And so we were watching this show and we became obsessed, you know, and we got to the end. And then we had to wait like five years or something, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, without researching anything about like what the hell happened. What did I see? Mm-hmm. And kind of the same thing could be said for the way season two ends too. Yeah. If you remember, it's like <laughs> very nihilistic. Twenty-five very years. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. so str- exactly. <laughs> yeah, literally. And then you get a movie, but it's a prequel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it doesn't you know, answer your questions. Uh, this this image we're paused on right here. This tripped me up when I saw it. So Misato and Shinji are you know uh, overlooking this like placid water. Lamp, it's the ending know. shot for yeah. Those of you listening, uh, the previous the, episode. The ending shot of the previous episode. Yeah. And Shinji's talking side. about how it should have been him to have died. Yeah. It was wrong mm-hmm. to have killed him. And uh, Misato's like, no, you're wrong. And she says here, it's like, he abandoned his will to live, clinging instead to a false hope. Um, which is really interesting. Mm. The false hope, what do you take of that? What does she mean by that? I, I the mean, idea of like an optimism in, in human beings? I, I will, I could, so first off, I can only assume that Shinji recounted, because she wasn't there. She didn't hear the exact things right. that that Kawaru said, so I'm assuming Shinji sort of filled her in after the fact, <laughs> and I'm so I'm so we can assume that she's commenting with some sense of of, of right. knowledge what of the down thing. There. Before but, I popped his head off, he said to me, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." So, so I mean, and I also assume I mean she knows that. Kaoru was the final the angel. angel. Yeah. So, well, yeah. How do you interpret that, Luke? I, I, this is I, this is a good question. Good question. <laughs> I was interpreting it more thematically about this episode, but I mean, she's being the you know, and he even at the end of the previous episode, Shinji calls her cold. I, in terms of the hope, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess the hope that it gets sticky because it's sort of like it sounds like she's talking about somebody who is suicidal, and it's become 
you know, the, the thoughts about suicide have evolved over the years and, you know, even to the point where people, you know, uh, they didn't commit suicide. They, they, you know, died by suicide and there's like delicate ways to phrase it. And, but there, there definitely used to be like, well, somebody who commits suicide is weak. They made the choice to give up on their own life. So, you know, we don't have sympathy for them or, you know, to put that notion out there, maybe as a deterrent for people like, no, don't make the weak choice. You know, it, it does sort of seem like she's almost along those lines of he, he didn't have the will to live. He didn't want to live. He said, you wanted you to kill him. So he, he didn't, deserve the life that he had if he doesn't want to hold on to it See, but, that, but, that's, but it goes back to the thing that 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 means humanity yeah it's, it's like either him or humanity <laughs> yeah i mean because it's i mean because when you describe it that way like we talked about in the previous episode i mean and that's just you know the, again i just was sort of like the real world when you hear her talking about yeah it, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, cold, yeah. But that's that calls to mind that conversation sure. that you have when somebody com- like, yeah but that's what that's what i'm getting at is that that, that shinji like I was, I was making a bunch of jokes in the last episode about his ability to comprehend uh, his ever fluctuating uh, purpose and experience in the world. I mean, he's he's in a very weird pivot, you know, like mm-hmm. crux of this whole thing, and that like he gets told a lot of stuff that doesn't right. sink in, and right. you know, some like the abstract stuff, the the Ray and Yui connection is one of the few things that seems to have clicked. I I still feel like when he talks about Kaoru in this scene and in the rest of the episode when he's being interrogated it still feels like his brain can't organize the information that Cower was the final angel. Like, he's told it repeatedly. Yeah, well, he does say that here, but I think it's the difference between... Yeah, you can you can know something logically, but emotionally... Right, exactly. You know, it's yeah. like, logically, yeah, he's, he, and he's telling him, you know, the, again, as the walls are coming down, I think it's Oscar, somebody who's interrogating him is... Or maybe it's just the white text, but it's, you know... He's defending himself and saying, like, look, he he was the angel. I had to do it. I did it to save everybody. And it's, but he still feels guilty. Yeah, he's, 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 he's a, of a separated emotionally. sort of heart and mind on this thing. Yeah. And that it, this is, so to answer the question, Kevin, and, and to piggyback on Luke's thing, I do, it does to me sort of feel more like um, she is choosing in this moment to, to meet him at his level. Um, right and and talk about Kaoru as but a person. I don't know what his hope was. I, I thought it wasn't yeah. Kaoru's hope entirely just within his sacrifice. Basically, just like you kill me now because I believe like like seeing you Shinji right. like you know causes me to have like a, an optimism. Yeah, for it's like I don't want to. I don't like, want them to to win. I want you to win. Yeah, and I, I want you for you humanity. But I don't yeah, think. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's it's you know, it's hard because it's a translation. Because I don't. I don't think that he'd be like, look, he told me that he liked me and that I should was the thing that should live. And Misato would be like, well, that's a false hope. He shouldn't have done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think that's what she's trying to get across here. But I do think it's interesting when you look at instrumentality in this episode as potentially a, a false hope. And we'll see in the next episode more of the pitfalls of, well, if the solution is take away all pain, just make us all one thing like the angels are, that is a that is a false hope. That is abandoning the will to live because to live is to experience pain. And so what Z- Zila and Gendo are you know trying to accomplish here is Mm, that's that is, actually that really false. I think that's a great solution. take on it because I think that actually plays to more of like what Masato's character kind of holds true mm-hmm. throughout this she's episode. She's the one who's m- most resistant exactly. to this episode. Yeah, yeah totally. To the idea. Hmm. She's like sort of saying like that this is a du- this is a dumb idea. <laughs> and <laughs> we see we see that um, uh, reoccur in End of Evangelion as well. Mm-hmm. 
My side so, was the best. So maybe hit play on it, Kevin, and we'll just like, well, let's let's kind of just this is like a, it's a loose improvisatory, uh, almost jazz like structure of this episode that we yes. are gonna kind of just if we if we see uncertainty. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of I mean, we're seeing a lot of different image techniques, like ways to. Make... He doesn't know what's happening at first. He doesn't know what to do with any of this. So his instrumentality begins and you start to merge with other people. There's a question of like, just what is going on? Trying to orient yourself in this jumble. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and eventually he's going to say it starts to feel good. Like he's just, he can feel himself dispersing and spreading and re- the return to nothingness. This particular image right here, like the this fog, kind of, yeah, and the trees, like this strange sort of, plateau landscape that's like shrouded in. It in looks mist. like something from like Lord of the Rings, like the dead right. marshes or something. Just fog and and dead trees. There's a certain there's a certain moment in the in the Dark Tower series, I think, uh-huh. um, right before the train, he battles with the train, where he's uh-huh. like left off. I think it's afterwards, after he mm-hmm. wins against the train, uh, the AI train, basically Blaine. Yeah, he's Blame left pain. off in like a, a landscape very similar to this. The also reminds me of this Carlos Castaneda novel where he's talking about basically... Um, I gotta read this shit. And this is a wild one. I read this in high school, but he is was it, on it, peyote. It, oh, it's, well, you know it was all hoax, right? <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah, we covered... <laughs> did we, did we, didn't we talk, did we talk about it on the show? or did I we... don't know. We talk about a lot because it, it comes up in a lot of our work and some of the stuff that we're doing, you know, like a lot of cult stuff and a lot of cult leaders and things. And, and a lot and, of hallucinations. And the weird stuff. shit about how my uh, my Christian father-in-law, but who used to be like a, a hippie, gave me this box set of Carlos Castaneda books that I still have not read and it's like, oh, you might like this. And I, you know, like, it's very strange and I don't want to get too personal, but like, <laughs> he's not going to listen to the podcast. Like, and the first, like, uh, the first time I met him, like, sort of told me, asked me if I was baptized. And uh, basically, you know, I was like, no, because it, like, had to have, like, a birth certificate. And my parents were going to, but they didn't. And he's like, well, if you want to get in, you got to have a ticket. So I was like, dude, I've never met you and you're, the first thing you're going to say to me is like, I'm going to hell basically. (laughs) Well, and then within our our first meeting, I like to read his gift of the Castaneda books as a, this and the Castaneda books were later. Well, I I like to think of it as a response. He's like, Oh, that guy's not baptized. He he can, maybe he'll be into my weird drug shit. (laughs) But wait, yeah, but anyways, Kevin, you, and I had to sleep in the basement. I mean, I I read this. (laughs) We were not allowed to sleep because we weren't married yet. So we weren't allowed to sleep in the same, bedroom because well they'd have to explain that to their other daughter and they just didn't want i think i read this this book around the same time i saw this movie and i was working at a subway shop um yeah you know while i was in high school and i remember i was reading this book and i was i was <laughs> working with this co-worker who um was very religious uh in- incredibly nice person i forgot his name but um i remember reading this book and being like this shit's fucking amazing like this is like the best book i've ever read do we need to explain what it is and i, I myself don't know exactly it, what it is. is it's the teachings of don juan yeah uh, it, but it's, it's like a like a is it like a manifesto mm, uh, it's, it's more like a it's it's more like a journaling um, like a fictionalized account of a fictionalized account guru? of a guru a shaman uh-huh. yeah um uh and the ingestation of peyote mm-hmm. primarily i think as like you know like, uh, hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic experiences by this character, by this guy Carlos, um, with Don Juan, um, and that one scene that we were talking about—that kind of like you know shrouded plateau. Uh, 
was very reminiscent of a passage in this book. Oh, uh, yeah. Although the book, I, I mean, the covers kind of have that sort of imagery. Exactly, and I think I remember the one the one image in the book though was like this, like, you know, this endless kind of landscape um, with like, you know, uh, like an infinity amount of like spheres like floating in the sky that like represented <laughs> like parallel uh, universes or worlds or you know, whatever, um, highly surreal. Um, but that's that. But when I was, you know, talking to this guy at the subway, at the subway, at the, at the sandwich shop, <laughs> um, uh, we made subway sandwiches. Please don't say the actual name of the restaurant. Um, or not, we're not cleared for that. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, I had gotten myself into some trouble at this restaurant in the past. Anyway, um, Ooh. this fella, I was just like, this book's fucking amazing. And this guy was like, I think the Holy Bible is the best book has ever written. And I remember being like, nah. Like, <laughs> like, this, this is, this is, uh, this is better. This is, yeah. I think you have, you need to read this, this one. Um, my life was so embarrassing. Um, I, I no, I interested. I'm pretty sure it was like, the idea was that he basically was exaggerating things and it was seen as a sort of cash in to the kind of like emerging hippie culture as though he was totally sort of a, a dilettante yeah, or something. Sure. Um, and I, I, I don't remember the details. Mike Myers has read the Carlos Castaneda books. <laughs> I mean, because when you look at the Love Guru, <laughs> yeah, yeah Guru Pitka. I, yeah, okay. <laughs> we, can, we can go on a bunch of Love Guru jokes, uh, as we've been known to do in the past. Not on this podcast, though. Have we? Alligator soup and make it snappy. <laughs> it's the old zingers that we all know and love from that movie. From the Love Guru trailer. We should watch that movie at some point. I've seen it. Okay, launching into Asuka, just berating Shinji. Yes. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, again, it's like... A fun we, structural thing of, like, characters popping up to berate other characters and then being accused of doing the same thing themselves, and then... <gasps> gasp. And, yeah, I mean, it's 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 formally yeah. cool, this whole episode is, like... I mean, in, in, in this, this, there's... We've referenced, the, you know, Godard a bunch as well, and this episode, uh, you know, I mean, with the, a massive amount of text and the, the, the editing and stuff, it does, you know... More of that, I think, uh, referencing here. We're uh, having to sort of piece it, piece it together from largely pre-existing images. Let's remember, like they ran out of money or something. Money like, and time. Money and time. Money yeah. And time. Somebody was telling me the other day that, that they were like their budgets were being cut. And I don't know if I can't remember if we've covered that or if that's something that you know. Cut the, by who? I, it's like whoever was paying for it. There's the, yeah, there's the shot of the pink wall. With, right? Yeah, that's really good. That was what somebody told me that that was part of the story, and I, I didn't remember hearing that exact. I don't. Thing. I, I mean, I think, I think they're budgeted, later. you know, a certain thing, and you can sort of blow the budget early on, and then you don't have any money left. That's how I always because the show was doing well. So yeah, it's not like they would be like, "Oh, are cutting your budget." It might have. Been, I mean, it might have been my, my friend misinterpreting um, his understanding of the. But they were, yeah. The money was running out, and they mm -hmm. were rushing to finish. Um, and so, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of what this is 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 repurposed. You know. I mean, I don't know if these are literally, like, cells lifted or, like, how you do that. Right. Exactly. Well, and there's minimal animation. There's a lot of people just standing and sitting in chairs with their faces down or, you know, just standing and just their lips moving, which is typical of anime anyway. It was mm -hmm. you know, always about saving frames and stuff like that. I think, you know, Shinji and Asuka, we kind of, you know, get the usual thing, you know. Self-worth and all that stuff. Yeah, got some new interesting things in that we get the three rays, the three distinct rays, the little girl ray, the ray in the plug suit, which is ray two, and the ray in her school uniform, which is ray 
three is a really amazing shot when it sort of glitches out on Ray and it you can see I'd never noticed it before, but you can sort of see the image of Yui coming through in the glitches. Mm-hmm. Which I think is fantastic. I also find this is just totally a psychological thing, but in the past couple episodes I've also found that to me in a weird way and it's literally probably just a psychological effect i find ray looking more like yui once that like there's certain shots where she looks so much like yui and there's certain like like you know like there's a shot on the screen right now that's just like ray profile with the plug suit on and that just looks like ray but certain head-on shots post the the yui sort of revelation to to me really her hair and certain fashions just looks looks more like her and i wonder if they were emphasizing that in the animation at all i don't know but what what i want to emphasize with her is her different perspective on it because shinji and asuka are kind of you know they're freaking out about the usual thing like okay shinji shinji feels guilty and i want people to be nice to me asuka's like i feel worthless and stuff that we have misada who's sort of disgusted by this process and and like oh this is appalling what you're trying to do but ray is scared she's the only one who reacts with legit like fear and it's in a very ray subdued kind of way but it's like she acknowledges before she longed for the return to nothingness Mm -hmm. that that was something that she she liked to you know wanted to do she she couldn't go back because gendo needed her that's why she exists and she had to do this but now she's through her interactions with other people sort of started to define who she is and really understand the self and the fact the fact that this instrumentality process is going to take those barriers away and just going to take away her be- her ability to define herself and her relationships with those other people that she's kind of spent all this hard time building up losing that now scares her well it's it's the old it's the old thing that you know you say to your parents when you're mad at them is like you know like you know, I wish I'd never been born or why, you know, I didn't ask to be here, you know, whatever, like this sort of attitude of like, well, I didn't have a choice in it. And it's sort of her version of expressing that in a way that it's like, well, you know, I'm only here because this guy fucking, you know, made me a soul and a body and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. blah. And that, so like on one hand, like she, you know, she, it was not a natural process of creating her in the way that like a human reproduction normally is. So on one hand, she could, she could be more comfortable with the idea that she wants to revert back to nothingness because she literally is only here for a purpose that was outside of her control, but that, yeah, she actually earned her humanity right. in a way her that none of, of the other is, is the newest and most earned. Yeah. yeah it's a fledgling she, sense she of self could have just been this husk with a purpose and became, she senses that she has become a person um, and and now is clinging to that, whereas right. you know Shinji and Asuka, you know they're they're, they're sort of flailing in the usual yeah. way. But yeah, I do find it interesting. And you know, when you think about, you know, if you don't believe in uh, an afterlife, you know, why is dying so scary? If it's just well, you weren't alive before you were alive, and you're not going to be alive after you're dead, and so it's like you weren't scared. You're not scared of the time before you were born. Mm-hmm. But why are you scared of the time after you die? And it's because, well, I'm losing this sense of self that I've built up. I've, I've built an identity out of my experiences with other people. And I think that Ray's sort of illustrating that in a way that I find very moving. And that, no, this is me. I didn't have a me before. But now, it's some, now there's something to lose uh, where there wasn't before. And I think that that's very telling of her growth, too, as a character. Of like, wait, no. I don't want this now. Well, and that's also, and I do think that, you know, like we've talked about, you know, race sort of fitting into to, uh, different um, character tropes of things. And that's, that's a very, you know, 
that's a good you know progression of the sort of artificial human finding mm-hmm. you know purpose and you know i don't know data from star trek and all those different things like that like mm-hmm. yeah you eventually have a humanity that's built um so misato <laughs> the the, the Masato stuff's interesting because they make a lot of they make a lot out of Masato's um, sexuality. Yes, and and yet we've talked about this before. There's very little, if almost any, hint, hinting at the idea that she's had much in the way of sexual relationships like outside all these of Kaji or something. And it's and it's like so. There's all this sort of like, and this is you know this is some of this is her insecurities that are being put on display here right so it doesn't necessarily need but it's just it is funny that the that that the the emphasis on that when it's like well she just i mean she had a this boyfriend kaji and it's like right i i don't you know i mean maybe this is you know i don't know if it's speaking to you know something about the time Whoa, or was something. there a pixelated there's a there's a flash of stuff does yeah. it flash something Wait, go rewind like, it. Yeah, yeah, like, like japanese pornography uh-huh. pixelation appear uh-huh. uh, in a flash cut? that's almost like that's what shinji's seeing because yeah, there's this bit where Shinji is you know sort of put oh into goodness. into her mind, and Shinji is ostensibly watching her and Kaji like have sex. Because there is that, like whether whether or not she had multiple partners, which this this seems to suggest, even though other episodes didn't. And again, it doesn't really seem to matter because this is just her, you know it's all of her her feelings. But oh, it's just a pixelated picture of Kaji. Oh, oh and her. Oh, that's great. I've never. Him. Yeah, that is like it's like a sex scene um, in just yeah, flashes. You, we're, we're going through the still frames, and there is. I mean, if you don't, if you're not up on your Japanese pornography, uh, <laughs> there's a common thing in Japanese pornography where they have to pixelate uh, the genitalia. These are images taken from the episode where yes. they are sticking yeah. together. Yeah, but, in, but in, they've in, been pixelated in, in, to in, look in like just, Hey, before the before the you know fans listening, the, the pixelated images you can go and freeze frame them on Netflix or whatever. It's not genitals though; it's just their faces. <laughs> it's, right. Just to make that clear, it's just images of of. Yeah, but it, that's quite that's great. I've I've never seen that before. It's really funny how it kind of like has this like Christmas Carol moment with like Shinji all of a sudden like in the room, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> seeing her her dark secret, just judging like but, through the but fan. We, we yeah, do know so, that there was so upset too, just like, like Ugh. just staring. He's like, I mean, I said that that's that's his incel stare. That's like that's Shinji. Well, but like, we had even when he ran away, like Shinji kind of staring at that couple making out at the movie theater. Like Shinji, for all of this shows. Like, and for stuff we're gonna see later, like Shin, like Shinji's not characterized as being terribly horny. No, he's kind of scared of it. I, yeah. I mean, I think that he's probably, if if I was to sort of extract this into a real life thing, I think that he's probably something of a late bloomer, and I think that he's he's if it, it, yeah, for all the fan service, it's not a. I don't feel like this is a terribly horny show. I don't think his I don't think his sexuality has fully expressed itself in 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 a in a, in a like like a puberty kind of way. I'm saying like yeah. I think that like because I mean look I mean like you have sexual impulses prepubescent at times. I don't know that, but but it's like it becomes you know your hormones changing and stuff like that. I like, wish we could talk about and live even. Yeah, we're, we well, have, buddy, we're, we're gonna when you're, we're gonna you're have to wait. You're gonna have to be back on, but because so you're, but you're, you're onto it. I think you're totally I, right. That's, yeah. yeah, I think so. I think that he's I think that he's pre horny. I think that he doesn't, and it's because that's a feeling. I mean, like I don't know, you know, like um, we all have older siblings, so I don't know if you guys like you have an older sister, I have an older sister, Kevin has an older brother. I don't know if you guys have memories like that, but I mean. I'd like to think that I didn't look as judgy as Shinji did in that shot, but at the same time, like I remember being—I was very judgy. I, I still am. My sister's three years <laughs> older than me, 
And I remember like her, you know, her like being, you know, like dressing up to go see some guy she barely knew. You know, I mean, like, this is nothing salacious. You know, she's like, a, you know, let's say she was 14 or 15, but her friends were going to go hang out. And suddenly it was like the most dramatic thing to go like, oh, Reggie's going to be at the skating rink or whatever the fuck it was. And me as a little kid being like, yeah, you, what are you going to do? Go like stand around him and like maybe say five words to him. Like, what's the big deal here? And her just being like well, but I just want to see him. It's like, you know, and like sort of like sure. it's, that that distance you have when it's like, well, you, you aren't compelled by these hormonal things at this point. So as a as a precocious but or sort of smart 11-year-old, you can kind of be like, what the fuck is this? I don't you even know? know that. I mean, again, this is instrumentality is happening and I think that's the Shinji in her head. Well, yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Like, I, I, mean, I don't think that's Shinji. That's like, she is like, oh, Shinji's judging me. That's People exactly are judging right. me. Daddy's judging totally. me. It's, it's, and it's the thing that don't they make references to like do you, do you do you want to show this to your dad? Yes, like they say that like like yeah and right, be- right before Shinji shows is, up. Is yeah. it's her and with you know that a lot of fetishes and stuff come from things that you are afraid of or disgusted by. Mm-hmm. Like the the the, the line you know the, the the line between like let's go on the list. Everybody talk about pleasure, the things that well, you're disgusted the, by the, the pleasure and pain and you know like Clive Barkery stuff. Mm-hmm. Like. The distinction between these things of yeah, like like disgust and arousal are they're they're closely related, and especially like, for Masato, I think. Right. Well, well she's so, conflated. Also, it. I mean, my like in my own you know just research on things, the idea that phobias and fetishes um, are are kind of built in the same way too. Yes. I think that like we get phobias from childhood experiences, um, and we get fetishes in the same way, and I think that like. It's all, I mean, you know, there's tons of Freudian stuff about the different stages of development and where these things sort of come into play and how that works. But I, yeah, that's, that's, there's so a lot of that. In- there's the, there's the, sh- you know, I think sexual c- compulsion. And I just like, I don't know, I, we don't need to go down this road, but just thinking about, you know, like the whole uh, Louis C.K. scenario mm-hmm. of, of doing something shameful becoming something arousing and it's arousing because of the shame. Mm-hmm. So Misato does these things and she's doing them in part and, and she's sort of worried that cause whether, whether or not this is what I was saying before, whether or not she's had multiple partners, she did have this sort of week long fuck fest with Kaji mm-hmm. in college. And I week think long fuck fest, the name of our new podcast about Hintai she's Anna. worried. <laughs> she kind of tells it early on in the interrogation, like, well, no, I, I didn't run to him to sully myself. I, I did that because I loved him. But there's a part of her that doubts that or won't let herself believe that it was pure. You know, it's sort of like, you know, you're, you're, when you're, you know, this when you're trying to not think of, don't think of a pink elephant, then you think of a, a pink elephant and there are some people that self-sabotage of like well don't don't make this dirty and then she makes it dirty you know there's a part of her that sort of feels like maybe this is you know you're tight tarnish me with your kindness i think it's a really good um exploration in this this whole section about this like of the kind of like i think of a, a fear that some people have it's a very I think it's a very adult fear um, because when you're young, you're driven by compulsions and you're not as self-aware or self-analytical in a lot of cases. Um, but that, like, yeah, the, the, the sense of like, oh, like, was I making more out of something in order to make myself feel right. something that I that I that I didn't really feel? Like, did I did I convince myself I loved someone in order to feel that and allow myself to do the things that I would only do if I thought that that was the case? Like, would you know, am am I? Are my relationships based on like a false? 
uh, a pretense that I am creating somewhere in the back of my mind. Right. Um, oh wait, shit! We're coming up to the absolute best moment in right. this entire fucking episode. Well, and, and we'll get to. But this is related to that. Yeah. But it's like she wants to punish herself. I just kind of want to finish yeah. sort yeah. of talking yeah. about the idea of self-flagellation and punishment of like feeling bad about yourself and wanting to punish yourself. And Kaji in this, you know, world, this mental world, even, you know, admonishes her for that and is like punishing yourself. You're just making you, you feel better momentarily by inflicting punishment. And so like, I think that Misato has got a very different and a much more mature and I think a, a relatable and common thing and that she feels bad about herself and like, yeah, I want to be found out. I want you to yell at me. I want you to punish me. I want my father to see. I want Shinji to see because I feel guilty about this thing that I've done. Mm-hmm. So I want somebody to judge me. So I'm putting Shinji here in my world and he's looking at me with this disgusted expression on doing a thing mm-hmm. that I won't allow myself to accept was maybe a good thing. You know, I, I, so that the, this whole, this is what you're getting to yeah. is this whole yeah. parade of characters of like everybody appearing and telling her that she's disgusting and dirty and yeah, just uh, they all these different accusations. Asuka and, and Ritsuko and Shinji, and then <laughs> and then the I'm gonna say it right now: the p- character on this show who is of the absolute most pure at heart, <laughs> they, you know, except for you know Pin Pin because animals can't you know have malice or whatever or you know dishonesty. Uh, second to Pin Pin, Makoto. Makoto. Appears in her mind while while she's choosing to You're conjure filthy. images. You're disgusting. What are the congratulations on your promotion? <laughs> Just the, it is even it, even in this nightmare world of of souls without borders. She can rely on this man. Yeah, I mean la- later later she she you know she successfully you know conjures an image it's of true. him criticizing her. But that first one, even if this like her her you know consciousness is breaking apart yeah. in this thing, she still sees him as. You know what? That guy is just always so nice to me. He is always so helpful. Or he has nothing. Or if, but... you know, if that's his soul, still just clinging to that one defining trait of himself is like, I can't come in and enter. You know, I can't. It's funny because like all the other characters that are like criticize. attacking her are like, you know, Oscar is straight on like pointing her finger right at her. Yeah. And then when it cuts to him, like he's like kind <laughs> of looking over, over his, his shoulder. shoulder, like, what's it gonna be? And then it's like surprise, <laughs> utter kindness. Wait, does oh, he have oh, something? Is, is he like? Have he's a like holding some like a clipboard or something yeah her dossier you know i'm I'm looking over all of these liaisons that you've had congratulations on your promotion the thing no one's bringing up is that you had a promotion (laughs) (laughs) he's looking at the record of her life don't forget the promotion that was really good for you remember that that was a good time that was a pure thing that you can't doubt you guys had that party that you didn't invite me to (laughs) really just incredible tonal work uh, from you know oh. Ono and the, oh, the makers of the show, just to kind of drop that in, yeah. Amidst this otherwise like very dire, very serious like psychological examination of these characters. No, it's re- I'm trying to think Hers? of what what I would compare it to, what that style of humor is compared to. I mean, there's probably a Simpsons joke that works the same way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, I'm trying to think of what. There's some Simpsons joke that's it's there's a, a great one in there's a Halloween episode mm-hmm. where um, I forgot which year it was but there's a Halloween episode where like, everybody turns into zombies but like a gate opens or something in the kitchen Homer's like going for a beer like a, a demon oh. like Flanders shows up like a, a, uh-huh. like a, oh it's a, a different you're, you're combining two episodes that's, Am the, I? that's the, do, it's the the soul donut yeah yeah where Flanders shows up Flanders as the devil Flanders shows yeah. up as the devil forbidden donut uh-huh. and like, yeah exactly and he's like you know like, letting Homer have it 
And then like, and it, the, all like the fire and brimstone like kind of cuts real quickly. And Flanders like looks over his shoulder and he sees Bart just like hanging there. He's like, oh, hey, Bart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I was going to like. Like these two have, have this like knowing yeah, connection. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, yeah. Bart. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no there's yeah. there's a bunch of those things though where it's like the 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 like vapor lock, the like what what's the the Joe Namath thing or whatever when it's like he like whenever they're playing back things people say yeah, in their dental heads. plan, Lisa. Yeah, dental, braces. yeah, it's like stuff like that where there's like there'll be ones where they'll they'll rotate in a, a and then one will come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's that kind of joke. They're all chastise, 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 chastise. Compliment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, or yeah, it's in like Simpsons in, it'd be something irreverent, but uh, the movie like How High. Right, where he's God, like, so fuck you, fuck you, fuck okay. you, you're cool. It's totally unrelated, but just because you're the, the first time the movie How High has come up in casual conversation. Uh, I, this happens all the time in typos on, I don't know about other phones, but on the iPhone when I'm typing uh, like in text, um, where my thumb will, um, I think it's like the S is close to the B, and it's common for a B to end up at the end of words. I did it to you today. I was texting uh-huh. you, Luke, and it's like, yeah, that sounds you know, great B. Like, it'll just be a B at the end. And I always think of the character and how high that calls everyone B. It was so B. He's always do. I don't know what that is, but like, it, it, like every time I do it, I don't correct it because I just think it's funny that maybe Luke will think that I'm just trying to talk like that guy from How High. Amazing. Anyway, sorry, How High. This is the first time it's come up in a while. But, uh, but Misato's got the most, I mean, I guess Shinji realizes he's afraid of his father and it's all sort of to please his father. Um, we actually hear Asuka's father, yeah, or stepfather for the only time. That's the only time the, the, the whether it's father or stepfather, the only male. We definitely figure. get a lot of daddy issues with Misato, and that she hated her father, and she hated what it did to her mother because she cried all the time when daddy wasn't around. So she wanted to be a good girl. She wanted to be a good kid. You know, in, in some ways, to like compensate for her father's shortcomings. As a father, mm-hmm. I have to be good so that mommy won't cry. I have to be good so that when daddy's here, he'll like me. And, you know, so the desire to, I want to be bad, whether subconscious or conscious, the, the, you know, that's why she kind of does these things. And that's why she ran away from Kaju is because she recognized her father. And it was like, oh, no, am I just still trying to, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to sully myself. <laughs> and I found, you know. I'm still trying to please father. Like I'm still in the arms mm-hmm. of somebody who reminds me of my father. I have to get out of here. So he really he did a number on her. <laughs> when Makoto comes back uh, in the assault on Masato and he comes back with his more direct line of like, that's why you'll be with anyone. It doesn't matter who. Except can, for me. Exactly. Yeah, no, right? yeah, exactly. That, he doesn't say the I'm a nice guy. Part, but that is. No, the... Nice guys like me. Yeah. I mean that's but that's someday you know, she'll see. Thank, I mean, thank God Makoto never goes full incel in that way because I'm I still choose to believe most no. most pure at heart. It's I mean, pure. him and Maya are the two purest characters probably. Yeah. is Maya house well, ru- or class rep? No, no, well, okay, shit. The three. The, yeah. yeah, Maya's the other programmer, the one that's in love with Ritsuko. Anybody whose um, love yeah. is unrequited is is pure of heart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. No, I mean it's like yeah, it's it's I don't know. It's like that that fucked up thing for a while there where it was like you could only. Um, in movies, you could only demonstrate like true love if a character was like a monster or something like that, like Edward Scissorhands and stuff like that. Oh, it's like yeah. you had to you have to remove an essential part of humanity from a character in order to, to believe purity. that they could be purity. It, yeah. And in these yeah. shows, it's like you just don't give them a lot of screen time and make them unrequited and just endlessly nice. I mean, <laughs> isn't that what Kaji says? Isn't it Kaji who says that to Shinji? He's just like the whole, or is it Ray who's just like you know, getting close to somebody means you're going to hurt them. Inevitably. Yeah, like. I mean, Kaoru says it to. Uh, I think you're right. Shinji in the last. And it's the continual, you know, yeah, thing Kaoru, of this, and that's, and that's where. 
Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's like, you know, look, okay, maybe I'll say this much. Maybe I'll just to continue my, my bullshit randomly generated theory. Maybe at the very least, um, uh, Kaji was an influence on Kaori. Like maybe he, like the same way he hung out with Asuka or something like maybe he would go there because you know he was working for Sailor. Oh, so like maybe he's maybe like maybe uh Cowher, like modeled his behavior after kaji or something like maybe he was like <laughs> you know and he learned how to be cool and like you know back like put his cool hands guy. in his pockets yeah put Get his hands behind his head and crosses hands his ankles and pockets. He, you know hair hanging down yeah uh and into into to flirt with shinji right <laughs> he learned how to flirt from flirt from kaji everyone. But I do think all the, you know, the parental stuff is interesting and, you know, that that, because we started to talk, we'll, we'll explore it more in the next episode, but the idea that you are shaped by your interactions with the people around you, you are, you are not entirely responsible for defining yourself. You define yourself in opposition to, or in the minds of others or through your interactions with, with others. And so parents being a really important, you know, there's, I think the it's first. A, I think it's a song track, yeah, um, and it might be a Freudian thing, but "Mother is the First Other" mm-hmm. is a, a track title on one of the Evangelion soundtracks, and mm-hmm. the idea that yeah, that's the first thing that's not you that you are experiencing, and so when your parents are absentee or you know too invasive, like that, just you know that's why a lot of your problems come from that, and so we're seeing the 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 failure of the previous generation of the parents on the on the characters well here. and this is also why i mean not why but like there's a tail wagging dog kind of thing here but like but but the show being about the characters who are right i mean at, at this age this teenage like because it is where you're forming your sense of self and it is where so much of your sense of self comes as a definition in opposition to other mm-hmm. other people and that that is mm-hmm. i mean you know i mean adults do it too but in theory adults get more adjusted as they go and, and more independent in their thoughts and not necessarily like that. But we are seeing these characters that are all being sort of shaped by external circumstances and there's reacting moment, in opposition to them. Just talk about her father. Cause I just, we, we've got it playing and there's a line that the Oscar's father or mother says that it's like, you could stop or you'll, you'll always be her father, but I can stop being her mother at any time. Is that what which she is says? A, which I what think is that? so it's, that's a what weird does that mean? idea. I guess maybe it's because maybe maybe what she's saying is that fatherhood is just a is a is a defined state, um, like, a like paternity, but that a mother is like an daddy. active role in a. I don't know. That's, I mean, that's that's real sexist. In a yeah, I mean, way. it's an antiquated <laughs> notion that like motherhood, you know, fatherhood, you're a donor, and motherhood is goes beyond that. But no, she's saying she could stop at any time. I don't. I don't know. Well, she kills herself. I guess she, she could stop, stop being a mother. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's. She 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 pulled the trigger on that one. Yeah, I was a little confused by that exchange with the father and what. But you know, but it's also not true because you know your mother kills herself. She's still your mother, and like, right? She's just impacted you in the biggest way she ever will. I mean, that's like, yeah. Yeah, interesting, but some very disturbing stuff. They just kind of keep upping the ante on the uh, Asuka's mother's suicide. Like this time, we get the the spiraling shot of the headless doll with the blood splatters and just barking dogs in the background. Mm-hmm. Really terrifying uh, composition, you know, well, visually and audio-wise. And I've said it multiple times in this show. If, if if at any point you think you don't like Asuka as a character, it, like the more we learn about what's actually her experience in the world has been, yes. you have to sympathize with her. You have to look at her as somebody who is 
gotten through so much in her life and it's just barely hanging on with all the darkness that's inside of her and you know yeah it's yeah i I think i mean that's what something the show does i think really well is that you you kind of do end up sympathizing with with everybody except for ritsuko's mom (laughs) no i do too (laughs) i mean you know yeah intellectually i i can for sure i understand why she's a tragic character um but all these people here yeah it's it's yeah, the show just doesn't let you off easy. It doesn't let yeah. them off easy. It's a bunch of flawed characters uh, struggling uh, and, and in a way kind of, you know, flailing and failing. You know, I think it's, it's we're, we're seeing this episode, we're seeing a sort of explication of what this was all for. And, you know, it's, it's just more struggle. And then, you know, maybe there is something, you know, we didn't run out there yet, but maybe there is some peace or some success or something that can be gotten in this, but that the actual this is just more of the same and if anything it's like a heightened version of what they've been doing this whole time yeah i mean it's asking hard questions how do you how do you live in this world you know um and it just all comes back to i mustn't run away um so we really got shinji primed here at the end of the episode to make some decisions you know because the characters kind of all appear and admonish shinji and tell him like that like this is reality and you're you. This is a world where you do have decisions, and it isn't just. And this given is what you, you wanted. Uh, yeah. So you live in the world of your choice, and this it's kind of like the dark version of Yui saying in the other episode. You know, as long as you're alive, anywhere can be a heaven. It's like, well, as long as you're alive, anywhere can be a hell as well, a hell of your own making. Um, like this is you know the world is the result of the choices that you've you've made. Well, it's it's interesting that Kaoru doesn't show up in this episode. And it is really interesting. Uh, it is inner space. It is you know? that he only talks about him exactly because he exists in Shinji's mind. He could Shinji could conjure him up at any point. Well, I mean, I guess he's not he's not part of his soul isn't merging with everyone else. This yeah, is this true. is humans only. That's man. it. Yeah. Although You're Ray's right. here, you know, but he, but Kaoru's dead and Ray's still alive. So there's all the living human souls, you know, um, so, all I mean, becoming one. I don't know. There, there's there's a lot to talk about, but I think, you know, this continues. And it's not a spoiler to say the next episode is, I don't want to say it's more of the same, because it does build and go to new places and, and takes the ideas further. But it is a similar conceptually and structurally. Yeah. Well, we're, we're at... 90 minutes so we can I mean if there's other, there's other stuff we should cover I mean did we miss anything I mean, I mean it's, 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 it's gonna be a, so hard to, a continuing to thing say. you know the next episode will uh, I, I wanted yeah I wanted to talk about Misato and and her her revulsion and you know judging herself and feeling the need to be judged harshly by other people um, we want to talk about Ray and her fear of losing the identity she's been able to amass for herself um we covered those things. Mm-hmm. I think we covered a little bit. We kind of breezed by Asuka and Shinji a little bit. Well, because like you said, it's kind of more of the same, and, and we're gonna get we're gonna get more. I mean, there's plenty more to talk about, um, right? Moving forward, but I think I mean, Kevin, did we? Is there anything you wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about? Um, no. Cool. <laughs> Not uh, particularly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as always, you know, you can find sync ratios on on Twitter. You can find. Um, Luke and I are uh, accessible. Kevin is, is still hidden behind a veil of privacy. Uh, Kevin's behind the paywall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. For a dollar a month. If yeah, if you send us a thousand dollars, we will um, make Kevin follow you on 
Twitter. Uh, that's a that's a bonus feature. We haven't set up any kind of. We don't have a. We don't make any money off this. But do yeah. <laughs> but I say do feel free to you know send questions. You know there had, there were a few people that you know tweeted some questions or comments, and you know happy to share those as we did. And obviously we had fun digging in on the music question, talking about needle drops. Yeah, you know uh, I'm I'm looking at this credit. Uh, this credit sequence here that we've talked about before with the yes. moon over the water with a reflection and Ray upside down. I'm starting to realize it's not Ray at all. That's Yui, like upside down. Do you think so? I think we so because the, the, the closest proximity to this type of upside down silhouetted image of this is character floating mind. is in, I think it's in Ray's mind or is it in Shinji's mind when he's imagining, but I think it's Yui that we see. Huh. Um, or at least discussed. So that's what I'm just going to go ahead and assume that that's Yui that's your, from here your on head out. Cannon. Yeah. Sure. Well, guys. Same difference, anyway. Oh, my God. Same thing, yeah. But, uh, or uh, g- Gmail, uh, Syncratious Podcast, the gmail.com, I think. Uh, this, Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Oh, are you still looking at it? No, I'm just just remembering watching this show. And, like, this, I think, I feel like it must have been the summer after I graduated. At least I know I wallowed in this show a lot after that. And just, you know, this music and seeing something like this and anime adult animation being something relatively new to me just you know i can't overstate what a spell it cast uh and how haunted i was by a lot of these things that you know the ray theme and and these images playing to 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 have a story that is a, an adventure story that breaks down like this in the way that this has um well no that's what that's actually just worth the commenting because because i as we've famously discussed like i watched the movies first um don't do that but it worked enough for enough to get Asuka's me. Asuka's father, Asuka's stepmother. Okay. Hmm. Enlisted in the in the cast, we have Asuka's mother, Asuka's father, and Asuka's stepmother. Interesting. So that explains some of what. Yeah, yeah. You'll always be her father, yeah, but I can yeah, stop can, being your yeah, mother okay, at any yeah, time. So I guess her father is still alive. Presumably, they've never referenced that. So her mother committed suicide, and the father is still around and married Just someone else. Doing some, doing some shit. But I was gonna say when I when I first watched this episode, it would have been in your apartment, and it and it would have, you know, I think you probably gave me some sort of heads up. It's like it's crazy or whatever. I remember watching this episode and the following episode back to back, and then probably watching the movie the next day. But I remember absolutely being raptured by this stuff just thinking this was such a cool fucking the yeah, idea. I, do, the I don't idea remember that it being didn't, turned off at no, all. No, I never bothered Which, me. I, mean, I thought it was so cool, but you're and you, but you're always into that stuff, and yes. I, I I typically am more resistant to stuff that is too avant garde, especially if something is at the start from the jump really avant garde or impenetrable. It's like, well, I don't I don't have it in here. I can't connect to it, and and especially in high school, I was very yeah, I would reject things, but I don't remember having any sort of rejection of. I was so in. It felt like it earned it for me. Yeah, yeah that was my next question, Kevin. Is what when you do you remember what you felt when you first got to this stuff? Did your friends? I forget the name of your friend. That Vincent Lynn and Seth Bailey. Did they did they tip you off that it was going to get weird? Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's going to get a little weird. I remember just thinking that it was bold. Like even even at that age, you know, mm-hmm. having only been like privy to so much cinema, you know. I remember being like, "Oh well, here are, are like artists like really wielding their yeah. like power." 
Yeah, know? I think that's what it felt. It's like it's like I really I can see the hand of the of the the, the filmmakers so much because it's it's so intentional. You can't accidentally make this. It you know? is. The, at, the at actors the aren't time, ripping and ending up in a different scene than you thought. It, this is a choice. I've kind of broken myself now, and that you know, and especially that I do this for a living. But it's you know, it's hard to watch things without trying to pick them apart and see how how it's all done. But I, I think I just remember that it did cast you know such a spell and that i was so into it that i wasn't thinking about anything beyond what i was seeing i wasn't like oh i wasn't necessarily thinking about the artist who who had done this and what a bold choice it was i was just sort of like oh my god ray like i was just so into the characters that i i just was taking it as gospel like you know i think it's it's it, it... and afterwards obviously i've had this whole yeah, yeah, well, it comes in a relief street, but... in contrast to End of Eva and, like, Death and Rebirth when you see that. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you take it as them being, like, fine, we'll show <laughs> this. It's, like, then they're flexing that muscle, yeah. you know, which is also, like, equally, like, powerfully artistic and, you know, mm-hmm. cerebral in its own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from, like, a different perspective, it's really, I don't know, when you see it in the gestalt like that, it's just, like, There was just such really a strong impressive. desire on my part to know what was happening to sure. my characters and to know that, you know, this desire to, are they going to be okay? I have to know. It's, it's like, you know, with so many things I will reject it of like, well, I don't want to buy, I don't want to waste the time trying to decipher this indecipherable text because you've given me no incentive to do so. Right. But I had so much incentive here and that it really became, you know, yeah, every line and everything was just so, yeah. Uh, enraptured of, the show's a real, like, Trojan horse, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it, it designed like that from the get-go, and it really unveils itself so well over the course of 25 episodes, 26 episodes. Like. I mean, because I think, I do think, you know, again, whether or not the intention was from the beginning or where that shifted or what the thing is. I mean, at this point, when you're watching this episode, I think you are wa- watching Anno interrogate himself. But I also think he, he's inviting you to interrogate your own self as well. And I don't think, and it's like when you see the Trojan horse, it's like, yeah, you sign up for the big fun stuff. Right. And by the end, you're, you know, uh, if, if you were, especially if you were young enough, like we all were when we saw it, you're going to walk out of this thing you're a, having asked questions or, 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 or had questions asked in your company that you've maybe never thought before. If you were you're 14 in a or 15. You're in fetal yeah. position like Oscar, like at the bottom yeah. of a lake, you know, just like uh, trapped with your own, like, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Asking yeah. questions about so yourself and your relationship. Becoming more and more distressed. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm probably not going to push my kids to watch any further. <laughs> <laughs> getting to these episodes now and some of the things. It's like, you know, just don't want to bring that up. Yeah, live in, live in um, ignorance is bliss. I can, say, I can sort of say the thing that... Take the blue pill for now, kids. <laughs> there's more pixelation in the next episode. But um, yeah, the, the, the brief story that I told when my kids were first starting to show interest in... Evangelion, and we're not too EOE yet, so I can't, you know, but but I, I tried to sort of explain what instrumentality was to them, you know, I was like, let me prepare you, it gets a little weird at the end, and they're like, well, what happens, it's like, okay, so this is, and tried to explain this concept of like, you know, trying to get away from pain by all becoming one, and, you know, all souls merging together, and like, just a real, you know, because it's important to have pain, because sometimes it, you know, lets you know who you are, and you're alive, and like a long, quiet pause for my six-year-old and then just like a real soft, I wish people didn't die from age. <laughs> I'd just be like, uh-oh. <laughs> That's uh, pretty good. So we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, 
Yeah, I didn't mean to. We, I know you were wrapping it up. Oh, no, I, I took like, it off this on this other good. tangent. This is good stuff. But, um, no, I like uh, the, the child's perspective on the philosophy of Evangelion is a, well, how, real, a real bonus how old treat. Are they again? They're 14? Uh, that was 11, 11 and, 12. Uh, 6. Make, just make sure to watch. Oh, 11 and 6. Yeah. Oh, no, no. How long? Oh, how and, long? And how old are the characters in this show? The uh, fourteen. Yeah, fourteen. Yeah. So Just make sure to watch it again with him when he's fourteen. Right. Yeah, and see how that kind of compares. Sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, I was I was just trying to remember my own impressions the first time. I don't really have memories of watching this the first. I have memories of watching it, you know, second, third, and fourth times. Like I remember watching it the first time with my wife and watching it with my parents and watching it with our friend Joe. Definitely watching. There's a moment that I can talk about when we watch any of Evangelion. <laughs> like I remember a distinct image of turning to look at my friend Joe's reaction to to what was happening. And so very vivid memories of sub- subsequent watches, but don't really remember my impressions of a lot of like 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 you know sitting there and watching it the first time. I, what I, I, I thought I the first time, but it was different for me. I guess. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, if you've all been watching it the first time, you remember, and uh, you can hold those memories with you for the rest of your life. Close to your heart. You know? Um, so, we'll, uh, thanks for listening. We'll, we'll see you guys uh, next time. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>